0: You're listening to the Sunday Messages Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. What I wanted to start off with was a story of when I was driving down Rancho 12. This was a few years back. Two people were in the car with me, and uh, there was a man on his bike. And anytime there's a man on his bike on Rancho 12... It's, you know, precarious because why? Windy roads, two lanes, not a lot of margins. And unfortunately, this older man, uh, his crossbar twisted. He flew off the front and he landed head first. And it was very, it got very serious, very quick. Thankfully, we were right behind him. So we got to pull over to the side and and I got to, you know, do what I do. I just put a hand on him and started praying because that's really all I have to offer when it comes to those types of, you know, situations like, ah okay. And uh, thank God. A woman came from across the street. She was coming the opposite way and uh, she she was trying to give, you know, orders. and, And someone, I think, questioned her and she said, I'm an off duty police officer. And I said, Thank you, Jesus. How awesome. And she said, Do not touch or, or turn him over, anything until EMS uh, comes. And you know, I said, you got it, I'll just pray. And then another person walked over and put this man's head on his lap and said, okay, on a count of three, we're gonna turn this man over. Police officer said, uh, sir, let's wait for EMS. And he looked calmly at her and said, ma'am, I am an ER surgeon. And at that moment, I realized God loves this man. <laughs> He, he got people praying for him, an off-duty police officer, you know, assessing the situation, an ER surgeon, meeting his immediate need, EMS came, we went off. My favorite part of the story is that there was this other woman kind of on the side and she said, this is why I love this community. <laughs> so anyway, you probably know why or what parable we're going to be talking about this morning. We often call people like this good Samaritans, we respond to an immediate need, we move in, we, we assess the situation and do what we can to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably been, are familiar with the story this morning. I want to focus on two questions as we read. Number one, who is my neighbor? And number two, how can I be a good neighbor? Really, uh, who is my neighbor is under the category of how to be a good neighbor. Because as I've been preparing this week, new things have come up. God has shown me things because He gave us the command to love your neighbor as yourself because he knew that if we did that, it would change the world. And I believe that if we really take this to heart, first it'll change us, and then we'll have the opportunity to see change around us, starting with the person closest to us, our neighbor. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 25, but the context is really important because Jesus just sent 72 disciples out he sent them to preach he sent them to pray he sent them to cast demons out and they came back with incredible results they said Jesus people you know demons uh, uh listen to us they were cast out it was amazing we saw Satan fall like lightning and, and I love Jesus's response this is right before he gives the parable he says Rejoice not that demons follow the commands of your voice, but rejoice that what? That your names are written in the book of life. He's putting things into context. Who you are and what I've done for you is more important than what you do. It's important to keep that in mind as we beginning to read. So again, 72 just came back. Jesus said that. Here we are in verse 25. And behold, uh lawyer stood up to him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall you do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I just came back from a quick 48-hour trip. I went back to see old colleagues out of college. I went and uh, started an entry-level position at the Supreme Court. And so it's been nine years. We had a little reunion, and I'm the only one out of all my colleagues that is not a lawyer. And so when I was asked, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm a pastor and the response that I got was, that's different, (laughs) which is true. There are actually some similarities between, you know, reading the word and and applying it and that's kind of what you do as law, but there are a lot of differences. Nonetheless, that's not the point. I forgot how great it is to be among lawyers because they ask great questions. Questions. They're great questions, ask her. And this is a great one. What shall I do to inherit eternal? Wouldn't you say that that's an important question? And so Jesus replied with another question, which is kind of lawyer-like. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And this isn't the point, but it's important for us to take note and know that the best way to interpret, to read God's word, his Bible, is to do three things. First, observe what we are reading. What, what's standing out to us? So in this case, he's saying, hey, what, what's written in the law? The law is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which would have been their scriptures at the time. Now we have 27 books in the New Testament, which is uh, fulfills our, our canon, closes scripture. But point is, observe. What is written in the law? And then the second, how do you read it? What does it mean? That's called interpretation. There's observation, and then there's interpretation. The last one is application which is what the rest of this story focuses in and so the lawyer answered well what does it say uh, you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind that was the right answer deuteronomy 6 the shema if you were raised in jewish tradition the shema is something that you memorized, very 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 important and then he uh included Leviticus 19, which we'll read here in a little bit, and your neighbor as yourself. So love your neighbor as yourself. For us, that is the great commandment, love God and love people. It's also our mission statement as a church. That's what we're here to do, to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Could you imagine what it was like to hear that from the words of Jesus? And then hear this, do this and you will live. Yep, the ante. Don't just know the right answer, but live righteously. Verse 29, lawyer goes further. He desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to prove to Jesus that he had done it. He's probably going to talk about his family members and other Jewish uh, uh, friends that he had and how he had loved them well. But Jesus changes the definition of neighbor, neighbor. Well, changes his perspective of the definition of neighbor through this parable, which starts in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man, this was a Jewish man, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a 16-mile route through, 16, 17-mile route from Jerusalem, downward slope through uh, a lot of canyons, and it is a very dangerous place. That was known for robbers and illegal activity. It's like if we walked from here to Chick-fil-A, or maybe from Chick-fil-A to here, whichever one you would uh, denote more as Jerusalem where the temple and the Holy Spirit lives. So I'll leave that up for you to decide, okay, it's here to Chick-fil-A. That's the right answer. So you you imagine going all the way to Rancho 12 with robbers and everything. So that's that's the context. And uh, he fell, this man, this Jewish man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and they left him half dead. Doesn't that sound like our world still today? Now we're introduced to two other characters. We have the man and these robbers, and then these two other characters that are very important, a priest and a Levite. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Modern equivalent The, the, the priest was like the head at the time, the top of the social, uh, uh, being a pastor is not at the top of the social hierarchy. Okay. But, uh, back then for them, the priest was the top of the social religious elite. The Levite was right underneath a temple assistant. It'd be kind of like lead pastor, worship pastor over here. And so Jose and Joel are walking down range row 12 and we see somebody in need. And what do we do? We ignore it. We cross on the other side. Verse 33, the hero, the Samaritan, but important, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, so he was on his way from some place to another place, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. A couple things that are really important for us to understand. From this passage first, a Samaritan is would have been a scandal of a character for this story. Hearers of this story probably thought, okay, priest Levi, now he's gonna go a lay Jewish man, and instead he jumped way down as someone probably no one expected him to call out a Samaritan. See, Jews and Samaritans were rivals in every sense of the word. They, uh Jews saw Samaritans not only as half-breeds, but also as idolaters, those that uh, welcomed other beliefs into their Jewish way. And so there was so much hatred. In fact, in Jesus's day here, in, in their modern context, when they were listening to this parable, Jesus sent James and John over to a Samaritan village and said, hey, go tell them that I'm coming. Well, they got rejected. And so James and John said, do you want us to pray for lightning to strike them? I mean, the hatred was palpable and yet so beautiful that Jesus would use this man as the hero of the story. Not only that, but he uses oil and wine. See, oil and wine were ingredients that were used inside of the temple. And now Jesus is saying, This is my healing ointment outside when there are needs out in the world. And so. He went further, the Samaritan. He set him on his animal. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which would have been about $600. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think uh, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said again, you go and do likewise. The man wouldn't even say Samaritan. The man just said, the one who showed him mercy. You talk about conviction. And Jesus said, be like him, go and do likewise. What does this teach us about who our neighbor is and how to be a neighbor? Well, Jesus turns certain things upside down and the first thing is that we have to know who our neighbor is see the lawyer was defining neighbor as a uh, close relative another jewish fellow and he 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 has scripture for this see we want i want to compare two Verses in Leviticus, which is in the front part of our Bible, this is the one that talks about the relative. It says, Do not hurt hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly, so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there, there that's where he was coming from. But then a few verses down, it says this: Do not take advantage of foreigners. Do not take advantage of those who think differently, who are from a different culture, who you may not agree with, who live among you. So they live differently, but they live where? Also close by in your land. Treat them like a foreign, nope, treat them like a native-born Israelite and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Israel. Egypt, I am the Lord your God. He explains God's definition of who is a neighbor. I wonder who the Samaritan is for you in the season of life. Don't raise your hand. Don't tell your spouse it's you. You know, I, take a moment and think who thinks like me, lives differently than I'm, even has a different value system and yet lives close to me there's a reason why they're close because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ God wants to show love to them through you see Jesus in chapter 6 of Luke says this if you love those who love you what credit is that to you even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who are good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do Jesus knew when he was saying this, that he was about to give a story four chapters later about a Samaritan proving this true to an Israelite. So I have four points and four questions to go with them this morning. The first question is this, do I extend grace with no things attached? Am I freely giving something away? Am I hanging out with people that really don't have much to give back. If the answer is yes, then we're participating in grace because as followers of Jesus, we freely receive and then what? We freely give. No strings, just love. The Samaritan did that. He went over and beyond. It cost him something. We'll get that. We'll get to that here in a bit. But the second thing that the Samaritan did is he knew who his neighbor was and then he accepted. He saw a need and he accepted that as an invitation to show care. Maybe for us, we don't see people on the side of the road, half dead, naked, and all those things. That's, that's probably not our day-to-day. But we do see people on a day-to-day basis as we go from A to B, as we go from work to home, as we go from this place to that place that are feeling alone, that are in desperate need of hope, that are just waiting for some sort of healing touch in their life. And the Samaritan teaches us that he saw the need. He, he recognized that as an invitation. And he said, I'm, I'm going to meet that need. Unlike the two distracted professional Christians, if you will, the Levite and the priest. And that word distracted is important because I I wonder which one of your, which one of these characters you may relate to the most. You may be that good Samaritan. You may say, hey, I actually have a cool story about something I did yesterday. Let's go. Let's keep it up. Share your tricks and tips with those around you. But you may be thinking, you know, I have been so distracted. I have been so unfocused. I have just been, frankly, overwhelmed. The antidote is yet to come, but I just want to say that if you are like the priest and the Levite, then you may want to do one or two things. One, you may want to just slow down a bit, slow down your pace, because we run pretty fast. And that man accepted that invitation when he saw it, he immediately met it. And oftentimes we miss invitations because we are going so fast. Maybe, just maybe, it's the opposite. We're just going too slow, especially prioritizing what God has asked us to prioritize, and we need to pick up our pace. But the second is this. Maybe we are missing the invitation because we deem it an inconvenience. We think about how it will inconvenience us to accept that invitation. Samaritan... He got it right. I don't get it right all the time. I miss invitations sometimes because I'm too focused on my own convenience. And the cool thing is that, A, we have a graceful God. And second, James 1.27 says that if you want to do this thing called faith right, then pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring, means caring for orphans and widows. And their distress, caring for those that need somebody to come around them, who need that healing ointment, in refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's the second one that distracts us from accepting these invitations. So a question for us, am I living out of conviction as a follower of Jesus to, to commit to saying yes, if an invitation comes my way, I know it'll be inconvenient. I'm going to do it anyway. Or am I living out of convenience and just thinking about what I need? Again, this, this key piece here is what moved him. It was an obligation. He wasn't trying to prove and justify himself. The Samaritan wasn't trying to prove and justify himself like the lawyer. No, he was moved by compassion. Can we say that together, compassion. This is the third point. He moved in with Compassion. I was a, a month in as serving as a lead pastor in January 2020 when I, I got the sad news that one of our own, Michael uh, uh, Robbins, passed and, and went to be with Jesus. And I'll never forget being at the office speaking with Linda Moss. If you don't know Linda Moss, you're missing out. She's been our bookkeeper for almost 25 years here at Cypress Creek Church. She is a, an amazing woman married to Bob Moss, our pastor of spiritual formation. And I, I went to Linda and, and I hadn't done this before. And so I just said, I, I don't know what to do. And I was asking, do, do I need to ask for permission to go see Kate? And she so kindly nodded her head and said, no. Pastors don't ask for permission. Pastors move in and they show up. And it's not only pastors, it's all of us. When we see someone in distress, we move in. We move in. Now, once we move in and we're asked to move out, we move out. We don't stay in and then say, I'm gonna hear until I solve all of your problems. That's not helpful. I'm gonna hear and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you, you know, talk this up. Sometimes they don't sometimes we don't wanna talk. We just wanna sit. We just want someone to be with us. And then when the time comes, you yield and say, Hey, do you need anything else? And, and, and we move out. The bottom line is a Samaritan moved. And if we want to be a good neighbor, we move in, not out of obligation, not to justify how great we are, but we move in with the compassion that God has put in our hearts. See the beautiful picture of the Samaritan moving in and then Jesus relaying this is that this is all his plan for us. When we move in, we realize that God's already there because when we are in distress, when we are in times of trouble, Psalms 34, 18 is what we need to hold on to, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's what he does. And so when we partner with him, we accept the invitation and we work with him with compassion. And so a question for you, what what is draining your compassion? Maybe the reason why you're not accepting invitations to care for others is because of this sense of feeling overwhelmed. I think it would be important to label some of that. What, what is overwhelming us? Again, it could be something at work. It could be a certain relationship. It could be uh, uh, something that we just need to, to, to let go of, a commitment that we need to let go of. And here's how I want to close this morning. We need to be with God. And we need to sit and receive His love and passion for us. This story started with a lawyer trying to justify himself. Okay, here we go, here's a neighbor. The lawyer was the subject and then the parable switched. And then the Samaritan became the main subject of the parable, go and do like him. And so following, there's a story of Mary and Martha and here's how I wanna close. In Luke 10, 38 through 41, says that now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And as she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted. There she is. There's the, there's the distraction with much what? Serving. She was doing a lot for God, for Jesus. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Doesn't that sound like sister-sister relationship, brother-brother relationship? It's all, it's all in there. Tell her then to help me. Jesus, you tell her to help me. And, and Jesus, again, boom, lays it right there for her. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is Necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What is the good portion? It's to be with Jesus. It's to sit under his teaching, to enjoy time with him. That could be through prayer. That can be through reading his word. That can be through listening to, to worship. And this morning we have an opportunity to close by doing just that. See, here's my last question. Do I prioritize with being with God more than serving God. As we move forward as a church family into more doing, a third gathering all the exciting things, if we miss being with God, we will be in trouble. Because it's all about receiving from the one that's done everything for us that we didn't deserve and responding to that 1 John 3:16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, we want to sit with you and receive from you in this moment. That can look like extending our hands to open up our palms in a receiving posture, It can mean kneeling down right where we are or coming up front here to the altar. It could mean receiving prayer from someone here up in front on both sides. Lord, tomorrow, it can mean being with you in a time of prayer as we do that corporately at 6 p.m. Whatever that may look like, we want to respond to you, Jesus, for you have given to us something that we don't deserve. We are that man on the side of the road, beaten and in need of healing and restoration and hope. And I thank you this morning, Jesus, that you pay the cost so that that could happen, your death and your resurrection. Jesus, meet us here. Pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the Messages Weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.